Hello, my name is Tim Tedder, counselor and creator of AffairHealing.com. This is part two of a two-part discussion I had with counselor Jennifer Jingris about Esther Perel's book, The State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity. You can get a link to this book by going to AffairHealing.com slash books. This Recovery Room podcast is just one of the resources we make available to anyone who needs to heal from wounds of infidelity. To find out more about our free first aid course, other recommended books, phone coaching that's available to you, or to join our mailing list, simply go to AffairHealing.com and you'll find plenty of information there. Now, let's get on with the discussion. Welcome to The Recovery Room, a podcast presented by AffairHealing.com. Here are your hosts, Tim Tedder and Jennifer Gingras. So now we come to an issue that probably is going to evoke a little bit more controversy (laughs) than whatever controversy may or may not have been evoked in the earlier podcast. The question of whether to tell or not tell about an affair or about all the details of an affair. We've already addressed whether it's helpful and healthy for a betrayed spouse to be asking every question and every detail. And we're very clear that no, that's not. But let's consider from the other perspective, the unfaithful partner's perspective. They're aware of the truth. They're aware of the experience, what they went through. And is it ever valid to never divulge certain aspects of the affair, or in cases where the affair may never be discovered, is it ever a legitimate consideration to not tell about the infidelity? Now, there are extremes in this. Sure. I had an author from the West Coast a few years ago send me a book that she had written, self-published, and her conclusion was, you are always making a selfish choice when you confess to an affair. You should never confess to it if it's something that's not known. Mm. The opposite extreme from that, and frankly, I'll be honest in saying probably earlier on my practice, I was very close to this, if not there, to say, you always tell the truth. If someone came to me and said, I had an affair, should I confess it to my spouse? I don't know that I even questioned it or wondered about it. So of course you should. Do you want anything to be in your way of legitimate, authentic, intimate connection? Because as long as you hold a secret... That is going to be in your way, even if nobody else knows about it. I can't even think of an exception early on where I would have said, well, maybe not. Now, Esther Perel has a much more nuanced take on whether to tell or not and leaves room sometimes for things not being said. Right. Esther Perel acknowledges that secrets and lies are at the heart of every affair, and they heighten both the excitement of the lovers and the pain of the betrayed. Mm -hmm. And she goes on to say that it throws us into the question of how much must be revealed. Do I need to reveal it at all? And honesty requires careful calibration. Honesty requires careful calibration. It's not honesty should always be (laughs) spoken. Yes. (laughs) Now, that's interesting. That's her point of view. Yes. We want to talk about that. I'm sure there'll be a number of listeners out there, especially those who've been injured by an affair, that are really going to question whether it's ever appropriate to think about not telling. Although there have been betrayed spouses who have said 
as they've gone on and on dealing with the trauma and the pain and having difficulty dealing with it, to say, I wish I didn't know. So it begs the question, can, can the person, the spouse, the partner that had the affair do the work, fix what needs to be fixed without ever divulging why they're doing the work, whatever led them to these realizations? And if they do the work and they come together with a reconnected relationship or marriage, is it okay not to say anything? So I, I really haven't thought about where my percentages would lie. I don't know either. <laughs> I, I, you know, I said earlier that I think I'd probably been pretty much 100% if anybody had that question. Of course, you should be honest. Sure. It's going to get in your way. I don't know what my percentage would be now. I mean, it's pretty high. Yeah. I think in most cases, yes, you, you should because it does get in the way. Uh, I mean, you holding a secret is always something that even if you years down the road are pretty good at just keeping in its place, there's always a certain amount of emotional and mental energy that you have to spend on giving thought to that never coming out and hoping it never comes out. Guarding it, yes. protecting it, making sure you're careful in what you say about where you were, yeah. what you did, because one little slip can be just a downhill from there. So in some aspects, it always is getting in the way of 100% intimacy and connection yes. that you could experience. So you are sacrificing something yes. if you do not tell. But sometimes you're also making a sacrifice if you do tell. You're realizing that's costing somebody else something. So weighing those can sometimes be a difficult thing. And again, I'm still on the high percentage of, yes, it's important to tell the truth, even if they don't know about it right now. Confession should be made so that moving forward, there really is a good foundation laid of honesty and trust yes. and authenticity. And we've had we've had clients who have decided not to tell, but years down the road, the guilt and the shame of that became significant enough that they needed to come out and disclose it. And you'd think that it would be better because it's something that happened a long time ago. Many times it is not. Because no. now you're dealing with not only did you do it and lie about it, but you lied to me all these years not telling For and telling. For years and so years. It's, it's never not an issue <laughs> right. when it comes up. So, wow, let's talk about reasons that Esther Perel might give for considering not telling. Okay. And maybe some of our own experiences and when we have had to wrestle with that question in a way that was a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. First of all, what does she say about it? First, she brings up a lot of questions. I don't, I don't know that she never really gives a clear answer as to what she necessarily, if you read the book, she brings up all these case examples of how in one situation she may encourage truth-telling, but in another she may not. Yeah, so I think that's the point. She leaves room for yes. the not-telling. And she also, what I thought was interesting, brings up cultural considerations. Uh -huh. So in America, in the Western culture... Which we are we, part of, yes. It is always... What, what we believe is it's always better to tell the truth. You cannot move forward without truth-telling. But to consider in other cultures... They consider telling the truth as a sign of disrespect if it causes somebody else embarrassment or shame. Mm -hmm. So to realize that our point of view is not everybody's point of view and that some people view lying in secrets from a very different perspective than we do. Well, and it's not it's not just about lying. I mean, I think more cultures would probably agree that it's not good to tell a lie. Yes. It's whether you become open about something that you know would be detrimental. Yeah, that's a good clarification. And, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. In our Western perspective, well, that's lying. You know, yeah. if you're not if you're not being open and transparent, but the point is, as you said, in other cultures, no, refusing to be open about something that you know is going to be shameful or hurtful is actually an honorable thing sometimes to do. That, that's foreign to me. It's foreign to us. Yes. But we just have to respect the fact that some people may really come from that background and culture and value that more than we do. 
And yeah, it's important to consider even in your own situation, where's your spouse or partner's background? What were they, what was their cultural upbringing that may have influenced why they did or did not share these things with you? Mm -hmm. Maybe they thought in their own way they were doing the honorable thing by not saying it. So I think it's just something to always keep in the back of your mind that our perspective is very different from other people's as well. She writes, can a couple really experience an authentic, secure connection while one of them keeps a secret? That's mm. the thing that we raised yeah. you know, before. She goes on to say, doesn't it render the whole relationship false? And she makes a comment on those questions. She says, I have no tidy answer to those questions. In many instances, I have worked toward revelation, hopeful that it will open up new channels of communication for the couple. But I've also seen a carelessly divulged secret leave unfading scars. Mm. Let's talk about, from our experience, some of the arguments that would be on one side or the other. Okay. What are the reasons we would give on the side of the argument, yes, you should tell the secret, you should reveal the affair or the hurtful aspects of an affair? Some of the arguments that we get for not holding on to a secret or some that we mentioned earlier is it does put a crack in the foundation of a relationship. It does require hiding and secrecy. And that shame and that guilt often comes out in other ways. Mm-hmm. You're, sometimes that comes out in anger, defensiveness toward the people we actually hurt. Yeah, there's actual freedom in being able to be completely honest. Yes. And nothing I have to wonder, you know, is that, you know, hold on to anymore. I, you know, I've, I've said everything. So there is a freedom in that. Sure. Yeah. And so if there, if there is a true desire to be a better person or to work on this, in most cases, my encouragement would be to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. I think another reason to not hold on to secrets or keep things secret is that leaves room for ongoing vulnerability. Sure. There are things that are never disclosed, never you know, brought out into the open. And so that is a space in which behaviors might be more apt to be repeated. Um, relationships might be more apt to be renewed. There's less resistance when similar things are experienced in the future because you've never dealt with them and had to be confronted with the consequence and pain of them. What I hear you saying is if they're not revealed, if the work is not done, then some of the stuff that you learn going through the process isn't learned. So you're open to it happening again because you're not doing the real work. By not telling, it prevents that real work from being done. So you're open to it happening again. I think another reason I've in the past, lean towards being transparent and being open and honest about things is because that just takes away my need to evaluate the true motive of the person Mm. that's had the affair. Right. It's hard to judge whether that decision is being made from a selfish perspective. Oh, I don't want to have to deal with the embarrassment or shame of failure, or I don't want to have to be held accountable Or maybe there's a part of them that doesn't want to completely close the door to possibilities in the future. Very true. So if I don't talk about it, yeah, who knows? Down the road, maybe I'll want to do that, whether it's with that person or somebody else. So it's hard to look inside the head and the heart of somebody and judge that motive. So getting to the truth and just, well, saying everything negates that uncertain judgment that we would have to make. Absolutely. Another argument that can be made for telling the truth is living with the fact that even if you think you've covered all your bases, there's still times where the affair comes out anyway. The truth of it comes out. And whether it's through finding evidence, whether the affair partner says Mm -hmm. something, 
it's always best that you say it first yeah. instead of it being discovered in some other way. Yeah. And, and, and listen, there are some affairs that are secret and never get found out. But, man, we've been part of many stories where the person was sure that would never happen. They're sure that there's a pact with the person they had the affair right. with. And something happens to that other person's life, sometimes some years down the road. And their response to it is just one where they decide to, hey, by the way. <laughs> this happened. This happened. So you're always taking that risk. And it is harder to explain sometimes down the road. Not only did I do that and lie about it, but I continued to lie about it. In the past, I think it was a lot easier to hide mm-hmm. affairs and infidelity. Oh, yeah. But with the technology that exists and how we've learned to communicate with other people, there is almost always some kind of digital trail that can be found. Even if you think you've erased or deleted everything, not too long ago, you probably could have gotten away with it because there's not that trail. There's not that email or the app or the social media. But in the world in which we live, there's always a trail somewhere. So there's always a chance that somebody's going to stumble upon something that reveals the truth. All right. So those are some of the big ideas, big reasons that uh, someone might give on the always tell side yes. of things. And some of the reasons why we are pretty high on yes. why you should be honest about your affair. But let's consider some of those things that might fall into the category that Esther Perel calls the carelessly divulged secret. Mm. Why would some secrets be considered carelessly divulged if the truth is told? You have to look at your partner. You have to look at their past and what they've been through. Is there severe abandonment and hurt that would cause such severe reaction that maybe they become suicidal or harmful to themselves by learning this? Is learning the truth of the affair going to be something that cuts them so deeply that there is no recovering from that? And this isn't for you to give an excuse or a justification Mm -hmm. for holding back. I think you have to be really honest when looking at that and looking at your partner's past about what their old hurts are, what's their state of mind, how healthy are they mentally, are they able to even process that in a way that eventually leads them to being okay on the other side of it? Or is it something that's going to destroy them forever? Yeah. And we've seen that many times in people that have backstories Mm -hmm. of significant abandonment, abuse sometimes, maybe even betrayal. Mm Mm-hmm in their own lives. And so you can anticipate that the revelation of this is going to cause a pain that is more deeply rooted and maybe more difficult to overcome, maybe impossible for them to overcome. And and I know that some people say, yeah, but you don't have the right to make that choice for them. However, when you sat on our side of that pain, when you sat on our side of that misery, to watch someone like that, who, because of those past traumas, is now so injured and hurt by this new betrayal in ways that are devastating to them. It's always devastating. Betrayal is always devastating. But it takes them to a depth that is difficult for them to overcome. And they carry with them for a very long time, some of them never really getting over it. And you look at that pain and you look at that misery, not the normal trauma response that then moves to healing, but the trauma response that now digs itself deep and stays there. And when we've seen that, you begin to wonder... Is it really beneficial? Has this been a good thing? And I've sometimes I've come to the conclusion, no, it probably isn't. And if that's the realization you come to, that maybe that is your partner, if you stay in this marriage, it still doesn't absolve you of the responsibility to do the work on the other side. I want to, I think that's a really important point to make. You still should be doing your work. Yeah. Again, I can imagine a lot of people listening to this and thinking, Oh, I hope my 
unfaithful spouse doesn't listen to this because you're just giving them a great excuse sure. not to tell. I and, and I get that. that. Yeah. And, and there would be some people who just selfishly go, yeah, look at what Tim and Jennifer said. I shouldn't tell these things. I shouldn't have told you these things. Listen, it's not about being able to make a selfish choice. Yes. And a lot of people are acting selfishly. And I don't want to give any ammunition for them to be able to defend their selfishness because I would blow that out of the water. There's no room for that. You acted selfishly when you had an affair. You should not be acting selfishly as you move towards your healing and your partner's healing yes. as well. There's no room for that. But there is room for a consideration of the pain that's going to cause. Mm -hmm. For most, it would be helpful to get a counselor's input on this, to really begin to evaluate, to yes. give it time, to really make sure that you're not <laughs> just telling yourself a story Justifying when it really is protecting yourself or protecting the affair, mm -hmm. that you really are protecting a spouse. But sometimes I believe that can be a legitimate choice. Let me give you one of the extreme examples that I faced of this. One of the first times when I began realizing, oh, Tim, maybe you shouldn't be so strong about always telling the truth here was when I had a couple dealing with her multiple infidelities and working through them. And it was a struggle. It was taking time. It was taking effort. And eventually, in one of my individual sessions with her, when we were talking through her understanding, what she's learning from the past, she admitted to me that one of the inappropriate relationships she'd had was with her husband's brother. He and her brother had a close relationship all their lives. But there was a short period of time when they got inappropriately involved. It was not intercourse, but it was physical. It was sexual. And it had been over for some time. And both of them were very clear about avoiding that. And she would, did not want to leave any room for that behavior. She was just, I'm not going to be returning to that. There are boundaries in place. But I feel if I were to ever tell that to him, that would have repercussions in his life and in his family's mm. life that may never be undone. Well, now you tell me what you would tell her. To right. Do. And if you sit there and say, you know what? It's the truth. You need to admit it so you don't leave any room for vulnerability and stuff. To me, that would be, I think, a careless and selfish choice to make because you would be doing a lot of damage moving forward. And yeah, do I have concerns about the husband's brother? Yeah, I hope he's got some counseling and done some work on right. that. And whether he has or not, I don't know. But that's a very different consideration than all the devastation that can cause in a family. It wouldn't just be about her husband and the brother. It's going to be about the sides the family starts taking on this mm -hmm. and what that can mean for them for the rest of their lives. She decided, I'm never going to tell him those things. And I did not dissuade her from that. <laughs> what I did encourage her to do, I said, listen, I encourage you to write your husband a letter. You write this confession. Write what happened and write your reasons for not telling him. Put that in an envelope. Sign your name to the back of it, date it, and give it to me. That was years ago. I still have that letter in her file. If it ever were to come out in the future, I don't know whether the letter would help or not, but at least she can say, Tim, I need that letter. And she could say, listen, I, here's how I wrestled about this. Here's what I thought about it. I've wanted to leave no room for this. I did not tell you because I cared for you and I cared for your family. So I made the sacrifice of holding on to this secret because the cost to you, I believe, would have been greater. So maybe that letter would be a value. Hopefully she never has to use it. Yeah. But, I mean, that that's certainly an example of why this question isn't always so. It's not so easily answered. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Esther Perel also talks about another situation where there's deathbed confessions. Oh, yeah. 
So somebody's dying. They want to get it off their chest. <laughs> they give a history of either affairs or one affair or infidelity. They die and they pass all this pain onto their spouse who can never then talk about it right. with them. Yeah. There can never be a real resolution. Mm-hmm. And they're left not only grieving the death of a loved one. Now they're having to go back through their whole history and wonder and question, and they can never get an answer. Who are you helping in that situation? Who are you hurting more by doing something like that? I think that's a really tricky situation as well. So I do think that there are times when not revealing an affair or not talking about certain aspects of it is a sacrifice that can be made because it will always cost something. Sure. But it can be made out of love. Mm -hmm. It does not have to be a selfish. And I know it can be a selfish choice. When I'm working with a client, I'm really helping them give attention to that and be honest about it and what's going on. But there are times when that can be a loving choice. And I would always encourage, listen, you need to do some work. You should still do the work of understanding what this meant to you. Understanding the whys of this. Because you need to understand your vulnerability so that you can have the confidence moving forward that you can trust yourself. This is an excuse for you to say, I'm just going to hide this and I don't have to do anything about it and let me just move on. Same old, same old. You will remain vulnerable. So do the work of really exploring what were the vulnerabilities in my life that contributed to this? How do I understand this affair so that moving forward I know what changes I need to make or what boundaries I need to put in place so that I can trust myself? And that I am experience a different kind of relationship, even though you're the only one aware of that work that's being done. Right. It's still important. Yeah. And just to say it one more time, to be clear, in most cases, the majority of cases, we would push for the truth. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you're someone who's had an affair, are there things that you haven't revealed? And honestly, it's not protecting you or protecting the affair partner or protecting the affair. I would encourage talking to someone that is familiar with this area. Mm-hmm. You can set up coaching conversations with Jennifer or myself. We can discuss this with you to help you measure this and make sure you're really moving forward in a way that is healthy and gives the best chance for the kind of changes that are going to be good for you. Those of you who struggle with it, I would encourage you to read some of the things that Esther Perel writes about Mm -hmm. it. And I'm not saying you're going to agree with everything. Honestly, Jennifer, the books that I learn most from are probably ones that I don't agree with 100%. The ones that challenge me on my thinking. The one that pushed me to say, why do I think this is true and this isn't true? I've changed more by reading books that I have some disagreement with than ones that are just totally reinforce my preconceived ideas. Be thoughtful about this. Keep an open mind. Yeah. Well, let's move on to another topic that she presents in her book. And before we do, let's summarize the three different kinds of marriages. For those couples that decide they're going to stay together after an affair, Esther describes three basic types of marriages that they might experience. Yeah, and to put it really simply, the first one would be those she calls the sufferers. The sufferers. That sounds <laughs> exciting. She said they get, these are those that get stuck in the past. Yep. And she also says the relationship wears a permanent cast. So they avoided divorce, mm-hmm. but you would not look at their relationship as something that was necessarily satisfying, no. content, happiness. The affair becomes this thing that forever changes them in a negative way. Yeah, every argument becomes about the affair. Mm -hmm. Every moment becomes about the affair. Mm -hmm. They can't let go 
of the anger. It just becomes this cancer that sits between them all the time, even five, ten years after the fact. And I guess some of the reasons people might choose to be sufferers would be, well, for the sake of the kids Mm -hmm. or financial insecurities or because I just don't like change in my life. But it is a miserable experience for those couples that find themselves in that situation. That's not what we long to help people towards. No. But that brings us to the second type of couple. The second type of relationship she calls the builders. Okay. Those are the couples who pull themselves up by the bootstraps and let it go. They just kind of move on, maintain status quo, but they don't really reinvent their relationship. Okay, so it's an attempt to let's just get back to stability of the way things used to be. And one way to do that is just put this affair behind us as quickly as possible. Yep. And just move on. Yeah, that doesn't sound so bad. That may be where a lot of couples end up is let's just kind of go back to the way it was before this happened. We acknowledge it happened. We don't want it to happen again, but nothing really changes drastically in their relationship. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think it seems very safe. That might be the safe way to do it. It It's better than the sufferers. It's better than the sufferers. It's better than divorce, tearing up families, financial repercussions. But I often would wonder how fulfilled are those couples? And the fact that what you have to do is convince yourself, like, okay, it's a thing that's happened. Let's just get back to normal and move on. Mm -hmm. We usually see that infidelity affairs change people and Mm -hmm. change relationships in some pretty fundamental ways. Sure. And so to just kind of ignore that or move quickly past it probably means there's just some unspoken things. Mm -hmm. There's some unresolved things. And if someone decides to do that, I don't know if I have the right to step in and say, oh, you're making a bad choice. Maybe that's that's their survival. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Just as counselors, we recognize that when people go through difficult situations, whether it's individually or in relationships, it is an opportunity for change, Mm -hmm. change for the better. For the better. Yeah, so she talks about the that couple would be described as. So the third couple is those that she describes as the explorers. And those who rise above the ashes and create a better union. They take something that, by all rights, should have torn them apart. um, But they use that experience to create not only a better relationship, but I would say better individuals coming into that relationship. Yeah, I mean, when we think about positive change, that that is the opportunity for something significant to Mm -hmm. happen. That out of the pain and the struggle, there can be something learned that, really does significantly change the partners and their relationship together. She writes, These explorers come to see the infidelity as an event that, though insanely painful, contain the seeds of something positive. Hmm. I mean, that's not just wishful thinking. That's no. the kind of thing we see happening mm-hmm. in some couples' experience. And most of the couples are going to say, we wish it wouldn't happen. Why did it have to be this? Why yeah, yeah, did it right. have to? You know, same I, thing the cancer survivor said. we wish that for them. Yes. yes. Why did it have to be cancer? Why did it have to be the car accident? Everybody yeah. has their story. Your resiliency after that event is really what defines the explorers. Mm-hmm. They, they make something positive from a very painful experience. So if you are going to be one of the sufferers, there's really nothing you need to do except give vent to your pain and your anger and all of that sort of stuff, you know, in a way that's not vulnerable, right. in a way that just protects yourselves. And that's probably going to be your experience. If you want to be builders, you know, just ones that kind of let's just move on for, you know, get past this, kind of forget it happened. I think there are probably some things we would uh, say they, that couple should avoid. Mm-hmm. There are some vulnerable conversations they probably don't want to have because yeah. it gets a little bit messy. They will lose the opportunity for change and growth, but 
you know, they'll avoid going through some of that messy stuff. The hostility. But if our goal is to help those couples that really want to not only somehow survive this and keep a marriage together, but discover a kind of renewal of their relationship, then that really fits the explorer's description. Yes. And there are some things they'll need to be willing to do. Some things that are not necessarily comfortable, some things that we tend to get pushed back on sometimes, with, right. especially from betrayed spouses who say, well, you know, why should I even consider those things? Uh, the, the meaning behind an affair, which we already talked mm-hmm. about, can be, you know, a difficult thing to work through. But if you properly understand that, that gets folded into what a new future can be together. There's another thing she addresses in her book. She doesn't talk a lot about it. But it is an issue that's... It's a very short section. Yeah, it's worth talking about. I think it's going to get a little sticky. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is especially in an affair that involved emotional connection. Because I don't think this applies if it was a one-night stand or if it was... Purely physical on both sides. Those you just, you, you end them, you cut them off, you whatever, and you move on. But when there is an emotional connection, how do you move past that affair relationship? How do you unravel the partners in that affair relationship in a way that's healthy so that the marriage has a clear path to moving forward and considering change? She talks about how to end the affair with dignity and grace. Mm, okay. Now let's, let's, let's pause <laughs> and let's consider that. How to end the affair with dignity and grace. Now you and I both know that there are plenty of spouses who are sitting on the other side of injury and betrayal who don't give I'll use a kind word a hoot (laughs) we've heard we hear other words in the office they don't care at all about any kind of dignity or grace being shown to the affair or to the affair partner in fact in many of their opinions that needs to be ended with harshness and with abruptness Mm -hmm. And if the feelings of the other person get hurt, it's what they deserve. In Mm -hmm. fact, there's some justice in that. I hope they're hurt in all of that. But there's a problem with that. If the involved spouse simply has to take these emotions that they've experienced, that have been very real to them. Right or wrong. Right. We're not trying to make a moral judgment. I mean, we're already saying, yeah, fair is a bad thing. You know, that's a bad choices or selfish choices. So we're not trying to justify that at all. And yet... There are times people find themselves in those relationships and real feelings come into play. Yes. And if we have to pretend those real feelings don't exist and somehow the end of it is, well, I don't care how you felt, you better put an axe to this and cut it off you know, abruptly, uh, there is going to have to be an unnatural denial of feelings, an ending that probably doesn't seem adequate or authentic or sincere to the person that had the affair. They'll be doing what they need to do or what they feel is expected of them. But any honest expression of what's really going on, any grief that they might be experiencing, any care for what the affair partner is experiencing or feeling has to be pushed down deep or just dismissed or denied. I think you and I both know as counselors, that's not necessarily a healthy foundation on which to build an intimate relationship moving forward. Yeah, as a counselor, that's definitely our perspective. But I, I already can feel what the response is to that yeah. and where the pushback comes because, like we acknowledged, it was, it was a relationship and feelings that shouldn't have existed. Right. But if you want to be the explorer like we talked about, there's an acceptance that even though they shouldn't be there, they were. 
So how do you bring closure and ending to that relationship in a way that gives consideration to the feelings that were involved in a way that's healthy and brings about a sense of closure and doesn't leave things lingering in the back of one's mind? So here's, here's what she writes in her book. Esther writes, If the painful disclosure of a parallel love is to lead to a more honest future, for either one of the relationships involved, the other woman needs to be treated as a human being. She needs a voice and a place to dignify her experience. If the affair needs to be ended so the marriage can survive, it should be done with care and respect. I can imagine some of the listeners screaming into their earpieces right now that any kind of dignity or respect should even be considered for someone who was an affair partner, someone mm-hmm. who was a marriage breaker, someone, and again, much worse words that we yes. have heard. What are we suggesting be considered here? We're not suggesting that an affair should be given undue respect or that it should be placed in the category of committed love in a marriage. It is a different kind of expression, and yet to deny that real emotions sometimes come into play, ending it without consideration of how to properly address those things is probably going to mean something is missing from the healing process. You have to let your partner give voice to what that felt like. Right or wrong? Right yeah. No. Well, no. Uh, I don't know. Well, vi- I don't know. This yeah. is why these are so hard. Wait, 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 stop. I don't feel like we quite know what to say about it. Maybe that's just me. That's how I feel about it. I'm torn. While Jennifer and I tried to talk about this complicated issue, we felt we were getting more and more disconnected and unclear in the subject matter, especially when it comes to considering the connection a spouse may have had with their affair partner. That is a tricky thing to deal with. And I think we both felt that we were not doing a very good job at talking about it. And Jennifer brings, you know, something valuable to this discussion because she's been on the betrayed side of things. So we eventually stopped recording a podcast. Just started talking off mic about what we were really thinking and experiencing. But the mic was still on. And we decided to keep this as part of the podcast. I'm just torn between seeing the need for that if there was a true emotional connection of allowing a person's space and time to grieve that. Mm -hmm. But I'm also torn because I know what that feels like as a betrayed spouse to say, yeah, but you shouldn't have been there. You shouldn't have even allowed those feelings to happen. And now I'm supposed to just sit back and let you cry for this person mm-hmm. that never should have happened. And, never, and, of course, it goes back to like, yeah, it shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Part of moving forward is accepting that it did. So there's just this like. Tension. There's tension. Yeah. And I don't think that there's. So, are we trying to fix it? For, are we t- trying to tell them what to do? Or are we just trying to let them know that that tension exists? Well, it exists. But, but the, okay, so that's, that's experience talking. And we can both talk from experience. That's real stuff. And everybody that's listening to this has their experience. But from a voice of a healer. Honestly, I'm not, I don't, whether 
Astaire says it or not, what do you think? In a, in a situation where someone has had an emotional connection, what do you think is a healthy way to process that? I don't know if I know the answer to that. I think there's a fine line between giving voice to that grief and then getting stuck in that. The problem with affairs is like everything is always so perfect, right? Yeah. And so it feels that way. And so then now we're saying you have to mourn the loss of this relationship, but you're then you're mourning the loss of this perfect, unattainable thing. So is it I don't know. I haven't been on the other side. I don't know how real it is. That's where I'm torn is. So he, it was even if they're real feelings. I know. Well, they are real feelings. I can tell you that. Okay, from my they're experience. real feelings, but they're not based on real life. Okay. Right? Do so, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so I can tell you this from my perspective. I can look back and say, I understand that my affair came out of brokenness. I understand that everything I was feeling wasn't coming from a healthy place. It was coming out of a place of need, and and yet in that context, I did meet someone. That in all the connections we had over time, I began really developing sincere feelings for. Um, I wish I could go back and undo all of that. There was nothing that was righteous or right about the choices I made and the way that I hurt the people around me. But if the expectation for me on the other side of it was to, Tim, everything you're feeling right now, you just need to push those away and deny them, which I think was the advice from some people, that was impossible for me to do. So then then the question is, how do you then let that go in a healthy way? And what is the expectations for the spouse? Yeah. Who's sitting there waiting? Yeah. That I think is, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. So, so let me talk about in a perfect world. (laughs) In my opinion, in a perfect world, that person that had the affair would be able to say with certainty that I know I caused this and I'm sorry. And what I want is my marriage and I want you. I want us to fix this. I can't deny that I'm still struggling with some of the call it the tethers, you know, the things that feel the connection I had with this person because I invested time and energy in in that. And I think it might take a little bit of time, but my heart isn't wanting to go back there. The grieving is the willingness to let that go, but to grieve it in an honest way that I am, I'm saying goodbye to something that is, is dead to me now. So maybe that's the distinction to make is you're grieving, but a lot of times when we think of grief, we want that part. Like, we think of grief of a dead one. You want that person back. Yeah. So maybe we need to define what It's a, it's a what grief that, of let, willingly let go. But maybe something, that needs to be dis- Something that just doesn't magically change on the other side of discovery is now I feel instantly disconnected and feel terrible about it. So maybe that needs... Because I think people interpret the word grief. Because when I hear grief, it's like I'm yearning for something that's long gone. Mm-hmm. That I can't get back. Whereas what you just said, I think, is different. Yeah. You said it was the grief. Uh, it's grieving, but it's not that you want to go back to that. You don't want it back, but you're grieving. Yeah, and I, I think I haven't thought. I haven't really thought it out completely. But I'd also say that probably part of the grieving is the grieving of the realization that thing that felt a certain way for me that that promise and the hope, like of the fulfillment and all of that. I'm beginning to realize that that wasn't even real, 
And there's a grieving in that too. It's, it's a grieving a lot of things. And I'm letting it go something that felt so real I'm beginning to realize wasn't. A grieving of an emotional connection that, that had some legitimacy that I am putting away and is going to be gone. And, you know, maybe in the mix of that is also the grieving of how screwed up everything was, you know, by this. But I invested so much time out of my brokenness and the, the it's... It's screwed up. It's messed up. I know that. But, yeah, it's not that sitting around yearning and pining for something that now I can't have anymore. Right. I think that's really different. And I think that distinction needs to be made. Well, how do we make that? I don't know. You just did it. (laughs) Well, then we'll just play this in the podcast. So then the next question is, where does that leave the betrayed spouse? What, What is their role while the other person is grieving? If, if I acknowledge that I want to be an explorer, if I acknowledge that maybe there's a possibility that we are the couple that can get there, and my spouse is telling me there were some real feelings there, and that's painful to hear, and we can't move forward until there's that grieving process, where does that leave me? Well, I don't think there's one answer for every couple. I think that for healing to take place, the betrayer needs to be able to turn their primary attention to the one that they've wounded with the full clear communication i love you and i care about you and i want to make us right and if they have a capacity if that the the betrayer has the capacity to do that and be able to process that grieving or that letting go in counseling or in a more private way and not have to not have to lie and say that's not there they can now say oh yeah i'm dealing oh yeah i have to go through it but i'm dealing with it then maybe they can just continue to move forward as long as the one who is betrayed, you know, can respect that and acknowledge what you need to do, you do it. Um, However, if someone is so caught up in their grief that they're not able to turn their attention to the healing, then I'd almost say then maybe you can't work together as a couple yet. Maybe there almost has to be a time of separation until they can come prepared to bring their whole self into the healing process. Does that make sense? Because you're right. If, if they're sitting there just grieving and their whole tension is turned towards what they've lost or what they're giving up, that's not going to help. So what I hear you saying is that while they are working through the loss of those feelings or grieving, all those things you just said, mm-hmm. but they're also in the same space still turning toward their spouse and saying I want you and I want to fix this I'm still going to do that work those two things don't negate they coincide they can I think and and I'm talking about in a perfect world sure if the betrayer hasn't gotten to that place of maturing and growing in their own life so that they can't do both of those things then I don't know that the couple can work very well together yet they may need to just do whatever they need to do to grieve that thing so that they can come wholeheartedly back to their marriage. So if they're not able to, you're saying that's an individual, maybe there needs to be some individual work. I would not be working with that couple together because they're not bringing what they need to bring to the healing process. That makes sense. Now, one of the things she also talks about in the book is the way that the affair ends. And that quote that I read earlier allowing the ending to be done so that the affair partner is able to maintain some sort of dignity and respect. Not that that's the primary goal. 
She says, whether the ending is done in person or in writing, it must be responsible, mature, caring, and clear. Yes. Clear boundaries. Like, this is yes. over. It's not going in the, oh, I want to have one more connection with you right. so this can end. That's, that's ridiculous. No. It's a clear expression of intent. I'm ending this relationship because I want to work on my marriage. But it can be done in a way that's not harsh, that's not trying to hurt the other person. In fact, I think that can cause more problems than help. This is where the betrayed spouse needs to have some openness to say it in your words. I'm not going to put the words in your mouth, Mm -hmm. although they sometimes try to do that. Here's exactly what I want you to say. I say, no, they need to say it in their words, but it needs to be done with your knowledge. It's not something they do privately. I'm going to go express this stuff and you'll never know. I don't, I don't agree with that. It needs to be done where you're still part, the betrayed spouse is still part of the process. Yes. Yes. And they're comfortable with whatever it is. Now I've had some betrayed spouses that say, listen, go have a conversation with them. Put an end to this in a way that you need to do it. And they're okay with that. Others would not be comfortable with that. No, for no, good reason. Yeah, but not, Now, let's let's write it out, and you can have a phone conversation mm-hmm. to say the things that we're going to agree that you're going to say, or you put it in an email or whatever. I'm not going to tell you what to write. You need to say it in your words, and I'm not asking you to be just harsh or vindictive, but the message needs to be very clear. It's over. And for the betrayed spouse who, who has that little voice saying, yeah, but I want I want it to be ugly and I want there to be name calling and I want that, I think you have to ask yourself, though, is that consistent with who you are as a person? Yeah, you know, you know what, though? When that is insisted on, I'll tell you what that sets you up for. When that's not an honest expression of the betrayer's real thinking and feeling, what they're very likely to do, what you're setting them up to do is to do that to satisfy you, and then somewhere behind that, communicate to them, by the way, those weren't my words. That was – I needed to do it for their sake. Some more but hiding, not, more deception. Yes, I mean, yeah. don't, don't even give room for that. We also understand why that seems so difficult and hard, though. Yeah. Why that's a very sticky topic to think about. If you want to be the explorer couple. Yes then you're going to have to move in some very vulnerable areas and be willing to adjust and shift and listen to one another and measure the heart of one another. Are you with someone who really is invested in you in this mm-hmm. marriage? And if so, that can provide a context where you can be vulnerable with another, one another and give room to conversations that aren't always comfortable to have but will lead you to some of those new discoveries and partnership together. Although this concludes our discussion of Esther Perel's book, it certainly is not an exhaustive consideration of everything she's written. She addresses a lot of other issues, and I want to acknowledge that some of her content will not be comfortable for every reader. In fact, it may not be appropriate for some of you listening to these podcasts. For example, any betrayed spouse who is still in that initial reaction phase, still focused on dealing with the pain of the discovery or disclosure of an affair, you may not be at a place where you can comfortably consider some of the meaning behind the affair yet, but hopefully you'll get to the place you can. But then there are other aspects of her book that I think have something beneficial to say, but maybe a little bit more controversial. She does consider the viewpoint of the affair partner and some of the things that are important to understand from their perspective. And certainly not every betrayed spouse or betrayed partner wants to hear anything that sounds empathetic or considering the feelings or the experience of the affair partner. But I think some of the things she has to say are worth considering. 
I should also acknowledge that in her work with couples, she is open to helping them consider choices after an affair that go beyond monogamy. These are not things that she encourages or promotes in the book, but she is open to explore those possibilities with couples that have an interest in doing so. So if you think you would have difficulty of reading a book that would even be open to consideration of some of those choices, you may want to avoid the book as well. As for me, I'll tell you what, I tend to learn more from books that I have some disagreement with than those with which I am in perfect agreement. So take that for what it's worth, and hopefully you've benefited from our discussion of this work. The Recovery Room Podcast is a resource provided by AffairHealing.com. For more information about the podcast and resources for affair recovery, including archives of past programs and the schedule for upcoming ones, please go to AffairHealing.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Tim Tedder. See you next time.